Hi, welcome back. So I want to start today a, a weekly uh, recording of the new season of the Testing Habits podcast. Um, and this is uh, uh, funded by Smart Delta Project. And I will try to focus on some of the things that caught my eye in, um, in software testing and software development, quality assurance, and the human mind, um, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. But um, I want to discuss maybe some uh, the latest, uh, well, actually, it's not the latest, but it's um, one of the latest risk digests from the forum on um, risk to the public in computers and related system. This is done, I think, by the ACM Committee on Computers and Public Policy and uh, Peter Neumann uh, being the moderator of this. So, um, yeah. I'm, um, I, I, I saw something interesting regarding uh, <laughs> um, what would Plato think about chat GPT. It was related to an article uh, in the New York Times. I think it was published in sometime in December. Um, and it was more related that Plato, you know, mourned the invention of the alphabet. Uh, um, uh, he was worried that the use of text will threaten, you know, memory-based arts of uh, rhetoric and I think in, in his dialogues um, he was arguing through the voice of uh, Thamus, the Egyptian king of the gods um, and Plato, Plato claimed that the use of this you know, modern technology would create uh, forgetfulness in the learners um, because that they will not use their memories and uh, that those who adopt it would, would appear to be um, you know, generally, no, they will generally know nothing. Um, they will not show any wisdom um, without the reality. So I'm, yeah, of course, it's interesting to think if Plato, Plato were alive today, would he say similar things about ChatGPT? Um, and we see quite a lot of articles on ChatGPT in software engineering and software testing, um, and but also in, in many other areas. Um, and I guess, of course, I, I'm, when I'm reading this, <laughs> many of these articles, it seems that the way forward is not to just look at um, 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 the, the previous skills that people use, but also recognize that, you know, as more complex skills become essential, um, I think our society must educate people to develop them. So in, it always goes back to the basics, I guess, and... Um, um, in a way, um, you need to to see people not those bundles of skills, um, and that um, I mean this is not something that ChatGPT can tell us how to do. Um, but this is a very long article. I'll actually put try to put the link there. But I think it's worth um, uh, taking uh, seriously and very relevant. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think there are many people that try to, you know, <laughs> they try out ChatGPT um, and they they put different questions. For example, what is a lambda expression, or what is the difference between um, you know um, MCDC coverage and uh, decision coverage, and and. Um, I mean, there are different questions that can be put. Maybe some of them are easy than others. Uh, what's, it, what's interesting 
um, is that it seems that, I mean, that it's quite accurate in many of the answers. And um, um, of course, I mean, Google does that, this also. Um, the Google does not, I guess, remember in a way any context from one question to the next. Um, but um, I, I think there's still a couple of problems. Uh, I mean, it's fun to play with and good for creating some things and also helping, I guess, um, many engineers that are looking for certain answers. Um, but I guess it, 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 there is also an article on uh, the new stack um, showing that, um, um, I mean, even if it's fun to play and good for creating, as I said, when it comes to writing secure code, it's, it's, it's just not smart enough. Um, so um, I will I'll put the link to that also. I mean, can help with programming, um, but it's not actually ready to be our programming buddy. Um, I think uh, there are some interesting examples um, there. Um, another thing that I wanted to, to mention that happened and caught my eye, um, it was also um, um, an article um, on um, detailing the experience of a humanities major who was tasked with babysitting a real estate a bot. I mean, this is very insightful, but it's quite, quite long. Uh, it's the, in N plus one magazine. Uh, it's called Human Fallback, written by Laura Preston. I'm not a bot is exactly what a bot would say. Um, I think what, what was interesting um, in this article was, um, um, was the idea that, uh, I mean, different dimensions um, can, can, can influence, you know, the conversational AI and they have shortcomings and then you struggle in the beginning, but it could be, uh, it can be also quite, quite, um, quite helpful. Yeah. And um, another thing that was quite interesting was how um, I was reading on also on Reuters uh, and I wanted to, to, to bring this up on, um, you know, how an article about how a secret software change allowed FTX um, uh, to use client money. Um, so you might know um, about the, you know, the problems with FTX and FTX founder, um, Sam Bankman fried um, so in mid 2020s, I think the idea, uh, FTX chief engineer made a, a change to the cri uh, cryptocurrency exchange software. He tweaked the code to uh, exempt uh, um, a hedge fund owned by FTX founder uh, from a feature on the trading platform that would have automatically sold off the assets if it was losing too much borrowed money. Um, it's what's interesting here. It's uh, in, in a note explaining the change, the engineer emphasized that, you know, FTX should never sell these positions. But I mean, yeah, um, I think he wrote in a comment in the pl platform's code, which is showed he helped the author. So I think Reuters reviewed the code base, which has not been previously reported, I would say. Another, another uh, in other news, uh, there was a researcher that exploited power supply to transmit steel data from PC 
so um, 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 I think there was Mordecai Guri at Israel Ben Gurion University um, transmitted um, uh, some data from a personal computer by manipulating the device the device power supply, which is interesting um, to see this kind of extra functional uh, you know uh, failures um, uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, so by regulating the workload of the CPU, it's possible to, you know, in a way, govern its power consumption. And then, um, in a way, you can control the switching frequency. Um, so it's interesting that, in a way, um, the researcher actually <laughs> showed that um, the electromagnetic radiation generated by this intentional process can be received from a distance using, you know, if you have the appropriate antennas. Yeah, so, in a way, malware installed on a universal serial bus drive could infect the target PC. Um, so this is a very interesting um, um, uh, failure, um, and this relates, of course, to the um, uh, to the also to the research that I'm doing in the Very Devils project, um, and I think this caught my eye. Um, also, I I was something that. Uh, caught my eye was that uh, uh, there was a Russian software company presenting to be American. So there were a couple of articles, um, especially on, I saw one in Reuters. There was a computer code developed by a company, um, um, which is in about um, 8,000 Apple and Google smartphones apps. So the, <laughs> the company pretends to be American when it's actually Russian. Um, 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 so that's uh, interesting to see um, um, how you could actually, um, um, I mean, if you carry out data processing, then you employ quite a lot of people, you have a revenue, then that could be uh, problematic. Um, so that was very interesting. Um, another thing was about the database of British Columbians' personal health information, which apparently is disturbingly vulnerable. I, I was looking at the, an article um, on CBC, um, and they were mentioning that millions of you know sensitive personal health records about people accessing healthcare in British Columbia have been you know vulnerable to leaks after the authority failed to address the security concerns in recent years. So this report has, has found, I think the report from the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner, um, and it says that, that known about the traveling level of exposure since it was audited in 2019, but hasn't the, 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 um, the authority hasn't done enough to address this issue so there is a in a way if there is an enormous volume of you know sensitive personal information that you breach could cause this could cause a significant list of harms including i mean yeah physical harms embarrassment dignity loss of dignity um and many others um so it's quite important <laughs> to keep track of that um there was also in canada i think a major uh, canadian grocery chain um, that says that um, there was a cyber attack that cost them 25 million. So there was a grocery store chain that um, had a, a cyber attack the last month that cost 25 million. So, um, and um, we don't know too many details, but 
I mean, the report does not clarify the nature of the attack, whether it was ransomware or if any ransom was paid. But what was interesting is that this vulnerability was quite uh, quite expensive. Um, in the end, I want to talk also about the, an article that I found about the um, cyber posture trends. Um, um, and this is a report that I a CIPRI publication, um, uh, Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, and um, looks at the cyber posture trends in China, Russia, and the United States and the European Union. And I think it's a it's a good read. I totally recommend it um, because it looks like uh, the current understanding of the uh, you know the cyber posture of different states. Um, um, it, it's often, uh, I guess, assumed as the authors say that China and Russia are aligned, yet this is not always the case. Um, it seems like uh, Russia, which has an ongoing focus on information security, I think China's official documents incorporate both information security and cyber security concerns that are similar to those of EU and the USA. Um, it seems like also EU and USA have different regulatory structures in cyberspace. Um, um, so both actors, EU and USA, actually um, mirror Chinese and Russians' concerns about the impact of information warfare on domestic stability. So I think the report does a very good job in examining you know, some, some of these key trends in each actor's cyber posture. Um, and... Um, um, yeah, so I, I I will I will put uh, put this report. Um, well, I'll put the link to the report if you want to have a look. Um, I think what um, the the in the findings, um, I think the findings challenge you know the some assumption that uh, you know um, that different actors are aligned, um, and it goes into very much into into details in how, for example, China has been undergoing a shift in its cyber posture uh, with its defense white papers indicating that um, 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 cybersecurity is growing in prominence with concerns over, um, over uh, many, many different uh, um, parts of society. So it's interesting that in a way China proposes what, what says a holistic approach to cyberspace. Combining, you know, peacetime and wartime and military and civilian organizations, which means that, uh, um, 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 that this might be perceived as a, you know, like maybe a preemptive action by an adversary. Um, and then I think in some other chapter, um, there is this um, lack, I guess, of explicit reference to cybersecurity in official documents related to Russia. Um, um, so the Division of Information Security and Warfare um, 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 focuses on information technological and information psychological forms. Um, um, it's uh, what it's what's weirdly um, called war against mentality. Um, so it's uh, in a way you'd have to recognize the inability to deny access and dependence on you know wider cyberspace networks um, so and then of course some of the other chapters which are very interesting regarding u.s cyber strategy and the high, this highlights the need to defend forward uh, and to recognize the challenges of deterrence by denial or zero defect 
um, maybe yeah it seems like USA has shifted to zero trust which I think uh, the authors say that it recognizes the inevitability of breaches and demands you know in a way greater resilience um, so and the EU one is very interesting um, because the EU's unique position as a you know you have it has a is a group of member states um, and this creates challenges um, so um, ma mainly this uh, the, the the cyber regulations relate to privacy and data pr protection and network and information security so um, uh, there are certain apparently member states that possess greater cybersecurity capacity and there is increasing need for uh, uh, in fostering you know some type of apparently integrated EU cybersecurity legislation which is very interesting I guess it's a transition to becoming a global power in the in in this um, yeah there are some some conclusions and I think these trends are very important I think especially nowadays in in, in, uh, in the situation uh, around the world and um, related to the war in Ukraine um, yes so this is yeah this was the part where where we talked about uh, this kind of you know failures faults risks um, related to you know software development software testing quality assurance um, and um, next maybe I want to just cover two papers I found two studies that I think are very useful one is um, written by Nilofar and Aldeida Aleti um, identifying safety critical scenarios for autonomous vehicles via key features um, so found a preprint on archive uh, it was I think released 15 15th of December 2022 and what I found it interesting is that they looked into a test scenario for an autonomous vehicle um, and um, there's this safety critical test scenarios that are maybe rare under usual traffic conditions and um, in a way simulations is simulations are used to generate you know these scenarios and trying to see if we can find um, um, uh, faults um, but the representation of these scenarios of course is is complex and the authors show quite quite interesting results but i guess the main problem here is to generate an, an exhaustive test to identify you know these critical test scenarios and this is sometimes impractical and they present which is very interesting as a technique for the identification of features of test scenarios that impact you know effectiveness and they use the what's called instant space analysis um, so this is an interesting way of combining features that differentiate safety critical scenarios from normal driving scenarios and then you can visualize the distribution of these features um, and uh, so I, I, I totally recommend it because I think it it I guess this visualization is interesting for 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 different projects that I'm involved in you know, like smart Delta and very DevOps because it tries to help identify the untested areas of the inst instant space where these you know test scenarios are possible um, but they're missing from 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 the current test uh, so they actually train some four machine learning approaches to classify test scenarios um, 
yeah so i i give please i think it it will be interesting um to to hear more about what uh, what uh, the authors will do i think in the in the in the future another report that i found interesting it was in the journal of educational data mining volume 14 number 3 in 2022 and um, it's called automated feedback generation for student project reports i find this interesting because i i teach in in, in a lot of courses and i think uh, um, this um, uh, an interesting way to improve how we give uh, feedback to the student is to uh, try to automate some things that can be automated and you know devote more time to important things so this is done by some researchers from north carolina state university um, um, so um, i i think this is interesting because students need instant feedback you know when you teach them software testing software engineering and delivering this timely feedback to students can be challenging for instructors especially when you have uh, courses with you know hundreds of students and students that are you know camp maybe campus students but also industrial engineers um, and if the feedback arrives a bit too late then um, this this is a problem so i think there are not too many studies and no not too many studies that have investigated automated feedback generation for more complex form of student work so i think um in in this work they present a quite a interesting novel data driven system i think they call it insta reviewer for automatically generating instant feedback on a student project report so um yeah um so they use i think in addition to some automatic metrics such as uh, bird score and root score we they propose a five dimension framework for manually evaluating system generated feedback um, and their results are interesting because um, on they use they use real students project reports and that they can generate feedback that can achieve near human quality and i think this is also <laughs> very much related also on how you would use chat gpt to to try to give feedback to students um, but in this case i think their work demonstrates the feasibility of you know automatic feedback generation for students and i i i think uh, um, you should give it a try also i think it was i found it interesting yeah and with this i will um, stop this episode um, thanks for for taking the time to listen to, to this and see you yeah, see you next week.